Today being the anniversary of the passing away of our teacher, Vinavachan Chah, we, as usual on these occasions, have somebody read a translated teaching that Ajahn Chah has given, which is what Tan Samajito has just read this evening. A few days ago, when we were discussing which talk to read, I recommended this one of the teaching of the cobra, and somebody made the observation that, oh, we read that one last year. And I commented, well, I don't think we can hear that talk too often. It's one of my favorite all-time talks. If or when a teaching is true, then it really is the case. We can't hear it too often. And this evening when I heard it, I really felt like I learned something new. And, and I translated that talk. I was there when Ajahn Chah gave that talk and, and the English lady who was about to depart uh, had this tape recorder and the Machi who was there gave it to Ajahn Chah and he, he gave this little short Awada and they gave me the tape because she was, she was going to be leaving for the airport and I went back to my kuti after morning arms round and quickly translated it and, and gave it to her. And I've read it many times since and listened to it in, in Thai and in English. And yet here we are. How many years is it? I don't know, something like 40 years since Ajahn Chah gave that talk. And there's still something to learn from it. Because we keep changing. And I think this is really worth reflecting on how what we hear when we listen to a teaching or read a teaching is filtered through our perceptions. And if, as one would hope is the case, we're learning to be more open, more alive, more accurately aware, then we're going to hear something new or potentially hear or read something new. This also became apparent to me relatively recently when I read a brief quote from a teaching of Ajahn Chah's that's framed and hanging on the wall here in the monastery. It says, if something is uncertain and you demand that it be certain, then you're going to suffer. Or words to that effect. If something is uncertain and you demand that it be certain, you're going to suffer. And again, that's a teaching that I heard Ajahn Chah say over 40 years ago, and many times I've reflected on it in my own contemplations, and when I've seen it hanging on the wall, I read it. And yet recently, when I read it, Oh, that's what he was talking about. Oh, oh, 
So I think it's helpful to factor this in in, in our study of Dhamma, in our practice. So it's not realistic to expect ourselves to suddenly get the teachings to our fullest capacity. We grow, I think that's the point I want to make. We grow in our capacity for hearing what is being said. In the beginning, we can hear a teaching. Maybe, you know, maybe most of us could think maybe the first time we came across the Buddha's teachings, read it or heard it, and oh, that's great, I like that. I'm going, oh, I go along with that. Or that teaching about if something's uncertain, you demand that it be certain, then you're going to suffer. You hear that, oh, yeah, that sounds, I should pay attention to that. That's good, that's really good. However, that's the, the initial or conceptual level of understanding. And it's good. It's also suitable to not settle for that. And in that talk that Dhansamajita read out tonight, Ajahn Shah was saying, this teaching is not something simply to remember or to think about. It's something to take into your heart, to take it to another level. So to bear this in mind as the months and years of practice go by, to expect this to happen, I would suggest that this is a natural process of learning. We have a conceptual level of understanding and then maybe we could learn on another level which is perhaps an intuitive level. There's more of a, a sense of enthusiasm about it. However, I would say at that level it's not really felt yet. And if we keep paying attention to it and keep practicing, then maybe that's the experience. Is, oh, I feel now what he was talking about. Oh, on the heart level. Not, oh, I go along with that. Oh, that's great. Rather, like, oh, something shifts. Something in your heart shifts. And the consequence of that shift is, is a form of letting go. I think we can also factor in that this process is going to carry on and there are going to be new levels of letting go and new levels of understanding. One reason why I mention this is that one, we can prepare ourselves for it and not be overly idealistic and expect to get something to our fullest possible capacity in the beginning, to be open, increasingly open to learning and to be alert to the unfortunate consequences of being limited at initial levels of understanding. There are, there are consequences to getting stuck, if that's not too strong a word, getting stuck at the initial level of conceptual understanding. One of those consequences is that we cling to the surface form of the teachings. And although that even if the teaching is true and we have a a good feeling about it, if we just cling to the idea that it's true and that it's right, that's very initial. And one of the risks of, of getting stuck at that level is that if somebody doesn't agree with our understanding, we can end up arguing with them. And so long as we're only relating to the teachings on a conceptual level, valid as it is, we can attach to the form 
and the, be overly defensive about the good feeling we get from it. You see this in monasteries where people attach too much to the form and they're, they're obsessed with how people are wearing their robes and whether they're chanting absolutely accurately and, and can spend hours and hours literally arguing over the surface level. It's not that it's not relevant. Of course it's relevant that, that monks wear their robes properly and chant accurately. However, to invest too much on that level uh, risks missing the point. That's the form. The point is the spirit. What is the message? What's the point of these training structures we have and the, the rules we have about how we wear our robes or the instructions on how we do chanting or, or the teachings? What's the point of these forms? The point is to direct our attention to that important dimension of our being, the heart. Can we read our experience? Can we bring our experience there and work with it in a way whereby there's, there's a falling away of the resistance to the suffering that we're causing ourselves by clinging? So getting stuck at the initial level risks ending up in arguments and being too fixated on forms and being stuck at the second level, intuitive appreciation, which is deeper than just a conceptual one, there can also be a degree of not really appreciating the excruciating consequences of unawareness. Say, so, oh, that's nice teaching. Oh, yeah, I get that. That's great. Yeah, I'm all for that. Do we really feel the tragic consequences of, of being unaware? And do we see that? Or are we still being casual and rather flippant about the way we live our lives? And, and that sometimes expresses itself. People who are stuck on that level can excuse themselves from being a bit casual with regards to precepts, like Buddhists, for instance, who, who still go out drinking. It's very clear that the fifth precept the Buddha talked about refraining from taking drink and drugs that that lead to heedlessness. And, and there's no question that alcohol is pure poison. The fact that society for centuries, for millennia, has dressed it up as something good and presented it as something beautiful is just a, another unfortunate symptom of the consequences of our unawareness. Is how something so pure poison, and there's, there's no question that. In fact, I was talking with our GP recently about this. He was explaining how the nature of alcohol it crosses the blood-brain barrier and, and has a dramatic effect on the brain. And you end up losing balance and talking nonsense and vomiting. And that's the natural consequence of imbibing that particular poison. It does have the effect of numbing us. And so it's understandable that if we... Uh, hurting seriously in our lives that we might want to break and given the story that society tells her about alcohol being okay then we might turn to that however it's, un it's unfortunate we believe in that story it's poison and, and Buddhists who don't 
really hear the Buddha's teachings on the precepts and take them seriously, yes, they can have a, a degree of intuitive appreciation and respect for the teachings, however, they're still somewhat casual in how they apply them. What Ajahn Chah was talking about in this talk that we was read out tonight was really bringing these teachings into the heart, into the open-hearted state, into our spiritual workshop. The open-hearted state is our spiritual workshop when, when the heart is, is relatively free from compulsive contraction, then there's a space that we can feel what we feel, whatever it is that we're feeling, anticipation, disappointment, mild or gross. If we are investing in cultivating that, that open-heartedness so that these teachings are not just interesting, they're deeply relevant. So what can we do about the risk of becoming stuck at initial levels of understanding, the conceptual or the intuitive level of understanding? How can we create conditions so we keep growing towards that open-hearted state where we can already apply the teachings? Well, one of the main things we can do is to check out how embodied we are in our awareness. And it's so normal for what one might call modern people, you know, post-industrialization and, you know, and, the, and gradually, increasingly, in the particular last few decades, the overstimulation of our brain means that very many people, I would suggest the vast majority of people, are identified in their heads and have to a regrettable degree, lost connection with other dimensions of their being. So one way we can optimize on the benefit, the potential benefit of coming across these teachings is to see how embodied we are in our awareness. Are we still just thinking about the teachings? Do we know what it means to cultivate aliveness in the heart, cultivate aliveness in the body? That's a good question, and my strong encouragement is to invest in formally and informally in cultivating aliveness. And that might mean doing, for instance, body scanning meditation. Yeah, that can work. Or personally, I find it useful to invest attention in the three centers of the head, the heart, and the belly. to spend time formally and informally cultivating aliveness. In the head, that might mean bringing attention to what the head feels like. What does the forehead feel like? Maybe visualize a big smile across your forehead. Well, what happens then? a big smile across your forehead and then imagining the eyes comfortably floating in nice warm fluid 
at ease. And the tongue gently touching the roof of the mouth behind the front teeth very gently. And the jaw at ease. The head at ease. And then the center of the chest, the heart center. Unobstructed by the shoulders clenched forward out of habits of not wanting to feel what we feel. Unobstructed by clenched backwards, pinching the spine. The shoulders just simply drop down and suggesting that the heart be wide open, wide open heart. Imagining maybe a wide open window with a gentle breeze blowing through, unobstructed in the front, unobstructed in the back. Fast, wide open heartedness, compassionate, open hearted awareness with the potential for meeting life in all its expressions, its joyous and its sorrowful expressions, the heart wide open and the belly. Again, maybe visualizing a big smile painted right across your belly, a great big smile. Oh, didn't realize the belly was tense, habitually tense. So we invest this quality of attention using visualization, imagination, or suggestions to let go of that tension. Belly contented. The head, the heart, the belly aligned, aligning. So investing attention in this way. Mm. Head at ease, heart wide open. Belly contented. Aligning. Aligning. Investing attention in this way so as to cultivate embodied aliveness. Not aiming at having some special experience. Maybe we've experimented with concentrated attention and narrowing down our focus and precipitating some sort of interesting shift in perception that can be interesting and can possibly be useful. However, it may not be the approach that brings about whole being awareness. Mm. It may not be the approach that introduces us to open-hearted, compassionate awareness. It may not be the approach that equips us with the skills needed in, in the open-hearted state that is our spiritual workshop, you know, that place where 
when we hear teachings, we feel them, not try and understand them. Yes, we start off with trying to understand. And yes, we enjoy the good feeling of an instinctual attraction to the teachings. And keep making the effort until we feel what we need to feel so we can let go of our resistance that's causing suffering. Getting back to where we started of hearing teachings over and over again, let's just factor this in uh, for the sake of our own practice and also in terms of communicating with others and Sometimes you meet somebody who just doesn't seem to get the point. And you know, I've heard teachers get, get very angry at their disciples. Why can't you understand me? So, well, uh, acorns don't suddenly become oak trees. And this process of maturing, this process of growing into openness and takes time and, and effort. And, Thank you very much this evening for your attention.